This is the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. This episode contains a sermon from September 18th by Brother Randy Covington titled Three Types of People, Venturous, Villainous, and Victorious. What a joy it is to be with you this morning, and I can't tell you um, what an honor it is to to be able to stand in the pulpit this morning and to be able to share uh, with you. You know this church has a has a tremendous um, part in my foundational growth growing up. It was I spent my teen years and early marriage years in this church, and, and that was when God was really getting a hold of my life and straightening me out, I should say, because uh, as a teen, there were other things that were distracting me from God's Word. And it was this church that uh, provided a safe place for young people to come together and to learn about God's love, just as these children are. And I see these young people here, and, and I know that they're hearing not only the lies of the world, but they're hearing the truths that God's Word has for it. So thank you for the privilege to be able to be here and uh, be able to share. Um, I'm separated from my wife just for the day, all right? <laughs> Let me put anybody's tensions at ease. Um, we, we went different directions today, and, and in case you don't know, today was the opening or the soft opening of True North Anchorage meeting at Muldoon Road Baptist Church. They started at 10 o'clock this morning, so we both went over there, and then I had to cut out really quickly to be able to be here, and she's staying there to, to kind of represent us and to be a part of that wonderful celebration. Folks, I, I can't tell you how wonderful it is to go into a, a sanctuary that a year ago had about 20 people meeting in it, and they were all but defeated, ready to give up, ready to close the doors. Today, when I walked into that place, there's over 200 people, a lot of children, a lot of young people, a lot of old people that have been praying and saying, God, you're not done with us in this place. And so they've been faithful, and now God is blessing. And I think in about another four to five weeks, they'll have a big dedication service, dedicating that building. They've done a lot of remodeling there. If you get a chance and want to go by and just take a look at it, those of you that haven't had the chance to see it in quite a while, I think you will be amazed to see what God is doing. And they're having a, a, an amazing presence in the Muldoon community. So I want to encourage you to pray for that church in the days ahead. I want to share with you today a... Uh, a Bible story that I heard as a child, and it was probably one of my favorites. Maybe it was because of the imagination of a, a little boy to try to imagine what this must have looked like, and not totally understanding the context of the, the story as it took place in the New Testament. It's the story about four guys who took their paralytic friend to be healed to Jesus. But when they came, there wasn't any room to get to him. I mean, there was a crowd. They could not get to him. And so they used a very unique way to bring their friend to Jesus. And it says that they removed the roof so that they could put him down to where Jesus was standing. Now, as I said, in the imagination of a, a six and seven year old child, I could just imagine the house that I was living at in Spinard Road, which has a pitched roof on it, that somebody got up there and took an ax and began to chop a hole in the roof. That was my context. But it wasn't until later that I began to realize that their roofs were flat, and oftentimes there was a, there's a stairway going up the back or along the side, and oftentimes people would go up there and they would have a little room where guests would stay. Most likely, that was where Jesus was staying. But as you can imagine, in my mind, all of these pictures of these four guys coming and lowering their friend, there was a lot of misunderstandings 
of that passage. And it wasn't until many years later or years later as I was hearing that story again and began to study it and realize there are some truths here that I didn't realize as a child. And even as I read it today, I learn new things. That's the wonderful thing about God's Word, isn't it? That we can read a story over and over and over again, and yet God still teaches us something new every time we open His Word. And so I want to ask you to open your Word today. And you've heard this story probably many times, but maybe there's some things that God is going to say to you in a special way as we examine this story once again. It's found in Mark's Gospel, chapter 2, and I'll be reading the first 12 verses. Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, it says this, When he entered Capernaum again after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many people gathered together that there was no more room, not even in the doorway, and he was speaking the word to them. They came to him bringing a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and after digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic son, Your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And right away Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sons, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your bat and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately he got up. He took the mat and he went out in front of everyone. As a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God saying, we have never seen anything like this. What an amazing story, right? That we read here in some of the opening pages of Mark's gospel. A story that stuck with me as a child and and uh, as I have meditated on it down through the years, realized that there's a lot of amazing deep truths that we can find in this passage. First of all, I want you to notice that there are three types of people that we see in this passage. And we're going to talk about those three. I would call one group the venturous people. The other ones I would call the villainous people. And then the victorious people. Now, any good story is going to have usually at least two of these and maybe all three of them. Even if you watch a good Western on TV, you're going to see the good guys and the bad guys. And you're going to see the victims who eventually will become victorious. That's the elements of a great story. And this has all of those elements. But there's some things that we need to understand as we study who these people are. Again, understanding the context in the very first verse, it says here that he entered Capernaum again after some days and reported that he was at home. Now, that one strikes me as a little bit odd because Jesus wasn't from Capernaum, was he? It actually says he was Jesus of Nazareth, right? So Nazareth was his home, but now he's in Capernaum. And it's not the first time. If we go back to chapter one, we see that he's already been to the city of Capernaum, but it says that he was at home. Most likely, he was at the place where he stayed whenever he came in to the city of Capernaum. Now, we know that four of his disciples actually made their homes 
in Capernaum. They were fishermen because Capernaum was on the Sea of Galilee. So that was the port. That was where they had their boats. And that's where they went out on the Sea of Galilee to go fishing. We also know as we read the first chapter that Jesus actually comes into Capernaum or goes to the seaside. And when he preaches there from Peter's boat, he then invites Simon and his brother Andrew and then their partners, James and John, to join him as his disciples. And they immediately leave the boats and their father. But they begin to travel around the area of Galilee and then they came back to Capernaum. And in Capernaum, we find in verse 2 that there's amazing things happening. When Jesus comes into the place, people are gathering because of things that happened before. If we go back to chapter 1 and we read verses 32 and 33, this was Jesus' earlier visit to Capernaum. And he says, when evening came after the sun had set, they brought to him, this is talking about the people of Capernaum, they brought to him all those who were sick and demon-possessed. And the whole town was assembled at the door, the same door of the house where Jesus is now in chapter 2. And it says he healed many who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Some amazing things are happening. Jesus is healing people. Demons are being cast out. Paralytics are being healed. People who are lame and people who are blind are being healed because of the power of Jesus Christ. So it's a big deal when Jesus comes to town, isn't it? And that's what we see here as we begin this second chapter. Jesus has once again returned to the city of Capernaum, to the home of probably Simon Peter. We know that he was in that home earlier when he healed Peter's mother-in-law from the fever that she had, she, she had. And so most likely this is the home where Jesus is staying. Now, we're introduced to this first group of people that we see here in verse 3. It says, they came to him bringing a paralytic carried by four of them. Now, that's all we know about them. We don't know their names. We don't know exactly who they are, if they are uh, relatives of this paralytic or if they're just friends. But one of the things that I think we know about them from reading just these few verses is that they were venturous people. People who were willing to step up and do something that needed to be done. Now, this idea to bring their friend, the paralytic, to Jesus wasn't something they just came up with that morning and said, hey, let's just go, you know. This was something they had to prepare for. It wouldn't have been easy to get their friend, this paralytic, who was restricted to lying on a mat, and to pick him up and take him and carry him through the village to take him to the place where Jesus was at. It took planning, folks. They had to prepare. They had to think about this. They had to think about perhaps what street they were going to go down and where the people might be and how they might be able to get to the house where Jesus was at. They had some plans and they, they basically made their plans and began to implement the plans. But when they got to the place where Jesus was, there were so many people, there was no way they could have made it through the crowd. If you can imagine four guys probably on each corner of this mat carrying this man through the crowd, it took a lot of space. There just wasn't enough room. And all the people were pushing to get closer to Jesus. There was no way. This was an amazing obstacle for them to have to overcome. But they were venturous people, weren't they? They were men that said, we're not going to go home. Now, I don't know about you. I might have, in the back of my mind, probably entertained the thought, you know what? It's not going to happen today. Let's just go home and we'll try again tomorrow. You know, sometimes it's easy to give up. But you know, venturous people are going to get it done. 
They're going to overcome the obstacles. They're going to find other ways to get around what's in their way to, to, to make sure that their plan, they are motivated to, find, to bring this friend to Jesus with the understanding that if they can get them in front of Jesus, that Jesus is going to heal them. They didn't let anything stop them for what they were going to do. So they made their way up the stairs. They found the stairs on the side of the house. And they said, well, maybe since Jesus is inside, maybe we can get right over where he's at and we can drop him down. Now, they didn't have pitched roofs, as I said there. They were basically very flat roofs. And oftentimes it was just a lot of straw and grass and things like that. So they didn't need axes. They, they, they simply needed to remove some of the grass and some of the space. They might have had to move a few beams or something like that that were just laying across the top, but wide enough so that they could lower the mat through the ceiling. And lo and behold, they get their friend, and he is standing before Jesus. And then I'm sure they're standing on top of that roof. In fact, one of those pictures that I saw in Sunday school was four men looking through the hole in the roof down at their friend where Jesus was standing there and speaking to him. I'm sure they were anxious to see what was going to happen. They were excited because they had brought their friend. They had overcome the obstacles and all of the circumstances that stood in their way. And now their friend was before Jesus. And then what does Jesus say in verse 5? says, seeing their faith, he told the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not sure that was what they were expecting to happen, right? They were expecting them to, Jesus to do something special, to lay his hands on him or whatever and say, get up, walk. But he didn't do that. He said, son, your sins are forgiven you. And I'm sure there was probably a look of consternation on their faces like, no, that's not, that's not why we're here. That's not why we brought him to you. But you see, Jesus makes a statement here that's a very interesting statement. In verse 5, it says, seeing their faith. Now, he's not talking about the, the paralytics that's lying before him. He's talking the, about the faith of these four men that took the time and the effort to bring their friend to Jesus. Seeing their faith, he says to this man's son, your sins are forgiven. Now, it took a personal faith on behalf of that paralytic, and we'll talk about him in just a minute, but it was the faith of these men, these venturous men that were willing to do what it took to get their friend to come to Jesus, and it was their faith that helped this young man to receive forgiveness for his sins. Now, we see a second group of people here, beginning in verse 6. It says, but... And that means there's got to be another side to this wonderful story. Some of the scribes were sitting there. They were questioning in their hearts. Why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Who are these men? They were teachers of the law, scribes and Pharisees. Unfortunately, they had begun to overstep their bounds and they were no longer just teachers of the law, but they had self-appointed themselves to be enforcers of the law. You see, they thought because they had studied the law and because the, as the scribes, they were, had written it down for the people to read, they thought that they were the ones that could hold the people accountable to fulfilling the law and to doing everything that it said. Now, we don't totally know the motivations of their hearts. We see some of it here as we examine what they say or what they're thinking. Now, notice they're not saying these things out loud but they're thinking them in their hearts. And we begin to see some of the evil motives of their heart. I call these villainous people. 
There are people that aren't looking for the welfare of the man or the welfare of the crowd or even the welfare of the one who is standing there speaking to the people. They're thinking about themselves. They're wondering, why is this guy doing this? That's not authority that he has. That's not power. That's not the, the uh, responsibility that he has been given to be able to offer forgiveness for sins. Most likely, these men were jealous. Because they're seeing a huge crowd gathering. I mean, Jesus now has been in Capernaum two or three times. And when he comes, all these people turn out. So they must think he's got something special. But as they begin to listen to him, they begin to think in their hearts, he's, no, he's just an ordinary man. He's no different than we are. In fact, we have more prestige and honor in this city. So why is he doing this? They were jealous. I'm sure perhaps in their own mind, they would love to be able to stand up as Jesus did and be able to gather a crowd. But because they couldn't do that, they began to focus on Jesus and focus on his, what they considered to be an inability or uh, not being appointed responsible to speak the things that he was speaking. They were men of a critical spirit. Now think about that for a moment. Have you encountered people that have a critical spirit? Villainous sometimes people, people who when they hear something don't want to listen to the truth or perhaps want to share their own truth or want to condemn or criticize the people that they're standing before. This is an age-old story, I think. And there have always been those who will focus more on themselves and their, and, and their own desire, their own honor, rather than on the need of the people that are around them. And I believe that was what the spirit was of these men who had come that morning to hear Jesus. They didn't come to hear truth. They came to find something that they could accuse Jesus of so that they could bring him to trial or bring him before the Sanhedrin to answer for the things that he had done. So they were thinking these things in their hearts and in their minds. And it says right away, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were thinking this. Now only Jesus could read the thoughts of somebody like that the Son of God. Nobody else really knew what these guys were doing there. Perhaps some of the people were wondering why they were there because they knew that they had heard them in the synagogue, but, but they probably didn't know deep down what their reasons were for being there. Maybe it was pure and honest. Maybe they were wanting to know who Jesus was. But Jesus says and responds to what they were thinking, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? And then he begins to ask them questions. Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But he doesn't even allow them to answer that question. He goes on to make this statement. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, then he turns his attention to the paralytic, and he says, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. You see, these men missed the whole reason that Jesus was there. They missed the word that he was teaching and that he was preaching to them earlier. They, he, they missed the truth that he was talking about, about the fact that, that Jesus, God had sent him to bring forgiveness of sins to the people. They totally missed that truth. They were focusing only on their criticism and what they thought in their own minds, and they were unable to hear the truth that God was giving them. Villainous minds, men and women of critical spirit. But we see a third type of people here, and that's the paralytic. Up to this point, we've not really heard anything from him, right? All we have seen is he's laying on a mat. It, it almost seems like he's motionless. He's not even a part of the story yet, is he? 
But we begin to see that as Jesus turns his attention to him, he then focuses on the physical need. Now, I want you to notice something very interesting here. We would often think that if you bring somebody to Jesus, let Jesus heal them, and through that, they will come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's our way of thinking, isn't it? If we can just get them to Jesus and Jesus will heal them, then he can save them from their sins. Jesus does the opposite. He offers forgiveness of sins. He focuses on the spiritual need, recognizing that the spiritual need is much greater than the physical need. This man needed forgiveness of sins. He might have wanted to walk, but he needed forgiveness for his sins. For even as a paralytic, he was a sinful man, just like all people. But it's so interesting to see his response when Jesus speaks to him. It says in verse 12 that immediately he got up. He took the mat and he went out in front of everyone. Now, I don't know about you as I try to picture this story. Here's a paralytic who's been paralyzed. Who knows? Maybe from birth. Maybe as a young man. Maybe some accident had happened. We don't know. We know very little about this man. But it's, it's very interesting as we look to this that he doesn't complain. He never expresses doubt. He never says, um, Jesus, I, I haven't walked in a long, long time. These muscles have not worked. They have atrophied. There, there is no way that I can get off of my mat. There is no way that I can walk. So now you're telling me just to get up and go? He didn't say that, did he? We don't know at what point this man received that faith or received that forgiveness. It may have been when Jesus first said, Son, your sins are forgiven. Or perhaps it was even at this point when he listened to the voice of Jesus and he responded in obedience. Those who respond to the voice of Jesus in obedience are what I would call the victorious people. And in this story, it's true. This man is the victorious person because it tells us that he immediately got up. His legs immediately had muscles. They had tendons. They had the ability to be able to move to carry him so that he could even pick up his mat and carry it out between that large crowd of people that were waiting outside the house. He was victorious. Victorious because he listened to the voice of Jesus and he received the forgiveness that Jesus offered and he received and he was obedient to the command, the very first command that he would receive as a new follower of Christ to take up his bed and walk and it required faith. Almost as much faith as those men, even more faith than those men who had carried him to the feet of Jesus so that he could be healed of his paralysis. So he came to Jesus and he stood up and he walked out a whole man, whole physically and whole spiritually, because God had touched his life in a way that he never anticipated that he would ever be touched. I'm thankful that God, when he looks at us, looks not necessarily at the physical ailments that we have, not, not at the disabilities, the um, inadequacies that we have in our life, but he looks at a person who needs the touch of the Father, a touch of forgiveness offered to each and every one of us. And it's a free gift that he offers to all of us. We need his forgiveness. And, and we know that if we receive forgiveness and we listen to his voice, that he's going to make us victorious in life. We have faith and faith helps us through those difficult times, even as, as it helped these friends who brought their friend to Jesus. But we're going to need that kind of faith, faith 
of adventurous people that says, you know what, I trust God. I don't know exactly what tomorrow is going to bring. I don't know what next year is going to bring, but I trust in God. And I know that he calls me to be on journey with him, on mission with him to fulfill his task and his purpose. So we see in this passage three types of people. We see the adventurous people. I call them people of faith. People who are willing to do whatever it takes to bring friends to Jesus. Are you that kind of person? We also see in this story people of a critical spirit, villainous people. Well, we would call the villains of the story. People who only look to criticize, don't look to learn, don't look to help or to, to uh, speak to the needs of others around them. They're, they're self-absorbed, interested only in their own things. Men of a critical spirit, men and women. Are you that kind of person? Are you that kind of person that looks at the inadequacies of people around you? Or are you one that looks to them as Jesus looks at them and sees them as a soul that needs to be reached, that needs to be offered forgiveness, needs to be offered faith in Jesus Christ? What about the third group? One man never says a word. We don't know his name. We don't know anything about him after he leaves the house. But we do know that he left victorious because it says right there, he took up his mat and he walked and he received that forgiveness that Jesus had offered to him. You know, we need to be that kind of people as well. People who are obedient to the voice of God, to the commands that he places when he says, sometimes it may not make sense, like it may not have made sense to this paralytic. It may be asking us to do something that we, we will say, don't have the power to do that. I don't have the strength. I don't have the skill the ability. But God isn't asking for your ability. He's asking simply for your availability. He's wanting to say to you, if you will trust me, I will use you in amazing ways. I would love to hear the rest of the story, wouldn't you, about this paralytic? I think someday when we get to heaven, I'm going to go and ask him, what was your life like after you met Jesus in that room? I want to hear that story because I know it's a story of victory. So now the question we need to ask ourselves this morning is, where do I fit in this story? Which one of these people am I? Am I known as a venturous person? Would people around me say that you're, that you're a person of faith, that you live by faith, that the decisions, decisions that you make in your life are based on faith in Jesus Christ or faith that he's going to carry you through those difficult tasks? Because I can guarantee you, if you're looking to him for faith, he's not going to fail you. He's never failed yet, and he will not fail you today. Just as he did not fail these men, and as he did not fail this paralytic. My challenge to you as a church, as you enter into a new phase, a new chapter of your life, that you examine yourselves at this point and ask, are we people of faith are we people of obedience? Are we willing to obey Christ in the things that he's called us to do? God has placed this church in a very strategic location in this city. He has a plan and a purpose for you. And he has a plan and purpose for every person that's in this auditorium this morning. He's gifted you in special ways. He's drawn you into the fellowship of this church. If you're not a member, he is calling you to come and to be a part of this membership. And to be able to be an outreach to this community to share the hope, to share the love of Christ, to share the forgiveness that he offers to all of his children. 
So ultimately the question is, are you going to be faithful? Now I will say this, knowing this church, you've been faithful in the past. I've followed this church for decades since I was a teenager. And God has blessed this church in many ways. And he's used many people that have come and gone. There's very few faces now that I would recognize from days gone by. But I know that God has a special plan for this church and for this community. And you need to step up and say, we will be people of faith. We will be people who will be obedient to the call of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because there are still people just in the sound of this auditorium today who need to desperately hear the voice of Jesus saying, your sins are forgiven you. So let me challenge you today. And I will, cha will uh, promise you that I will be praying for you as a church and for uh, the new pastor that God will be calling sometime in the future to lead out in this church, that God will use each and every one of you to accomplish his plan and his purpose in this place. Because God is not done with Grandview Baptist Church. He has a special plan for you, and it's a good plan. And if you just trust him, if you'll be like these men were, men of faith, you're going to be bringing lots of people to hear about Jesus and to be able to receive his love and his forgiveness. Let's pray. Thank you for tuning into the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. For more information, visit our website at gbcak.org.